calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Noah Daniels, and we're here for another episode of the Real Hauntings podcast. Kat and JJ are not on this episode. However, we do have two amazing people here for you all to listen to. Becky, aka My Bloody Galantine, is going to be guest co-hosting this episode, and she brought along one of her friends who I am super excited and curious to interview. Anybody who has seen her content online, I know you are excited to hear from Jules and see what she is all about. You can find her content at The Hex Baby on Instagram and TikTok. Jules, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here. It's nice to finally meet you. Yeah, and Becky, thank you for bringing uh, Jules on board. I've never interviewed a vampire, so it's very cool <laughs> to get a look into her lair and everything is dark and the shades are down, so I think yeah. she's safe for the evening. <laughs> You know, uh, I think it wouldn't be a true uh, Real Hauntings podcast if we didn't bring something new in every time. So I I found the weirdest I could for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, how do you two know each other? We we thought this might come up. We knew yeah. it. I, I was joking with her and I said, um, you know, Becky was on a paranormal investigation. I was the ghost that was haunting the building and <laughs> you know, the rest is history. Um, but what really ended up happening is that Becky knows people that I know. Um, and my my partner reached out and was like, hey, you want to be friends with my girlfriend? And we ended up hanging. Basically, that's what we happened. And uh, Becky came over and the rest is history. Wow. And Jules, I have so many questions, but one that our audience always wants to know, where do you fall on what we call the believometer? Zero meaning you don't believe in ghosts at all. And 10 ghosts are absolutely real. You know, if you had asked this a year ago, I'd probably say a three or four. I think I'm right around six at this point. I think I'm more on the, uh, I'm coming into possibly believing in things. Okay. Yeah. Well, what is it like for somebody who considers themselves, you know, a six on the meter, which I would say for me, I would say now I'm probably seven, eight, nine, depending on the day, but much like you, I was like a two or three when we started this Mm. podcast. What's it like to have a friend like Becky, who is so in tuned with the supernatural, who has had experience, who has been to all these, you know, haunted places does that pique your curiosity? Are you like, I don't know about some of this stuff? Like, how does that influence y'all's friendship? I mean, honestly, it's 
it's very uplifting and it's very encouraging to have somebody who is educated and knows what they're talking about and can validate your feelings. You know, if you're feeling something strange or unusual and you explain it out loud, you know, Becky's somebody who can validate it or at least help explain it away. Um, so it's, it's very nice. It's very nice having somebody so close who can help validate things. And Becky, what was it like when you met Jules for the first time, when you saw the vampire teeth and the complete <laughs> vibe, where did you immediately accept as like, okay, I'm going to be friends with this person forever? I was afraid of her. No, <laughs> I'm, just saying that. I'm not just saying that for like internet effect. I was like, she could kick my butt. Like if this were, we were one-on-one -on, -one on the street, like I would lose a hundred percent. But I'm a cancer. I'm so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but she's nice. But that was the first impression. I got Becky, is that how you handle most of your first impressions? Do you size them up for like Fight Club? Or you <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it's not sizing up. I just have one answer for all. I look at a person. It doesn't matter if they're two feet tall or like a hundred feet tall or whatever. I'm like, they could they could probably take me. Oh, okay, Jules. So I think the first question I want to ask you: the teeth. The teeth. Okay. Um, <laughs> Usually the first question. Yes. So when I was watching your content and enjoying all your TikToks, I noticed that there were vampire teeth in your mouth. Yes. Uh, do those have a permanent residence? Uh, did they develop naturally? Where did these come from? Well, I, you know, I, it loses the allure a little bit when I tell people, oh, somebody who's into dentistry actually made them for me. But um, it, just a like brief shout out, it's uh, Father Sebastian. Um, he's the one who runs the Endless Night Vampire Balls. He fangs people. You can get like initiated. It's like, it's a cute little event type of situation. Um, I was fanged back in New Orleans in 2016. Uh, had my own little ceremony. It was very cool. And then uh, we did the Endless Night Vampire Ball. So that's you kind of get like fanged like a, like a movie, you know, are they, are they like dentures? How does that even work? Yeah. They're, um, they're actually like molded to your teeth. Uh, he will sculpt and shape them right there for you. Um, as he's doing it, he has you go through a book of, uh, you know, like names of gods and goddesses and you get to pick out your own name and everything like that. It's very, very cool. It's a little, it's like a little ritual. And when did you know you were going to be about the vampire life? Like what day oh. was it where it all clicked for you? September 3rd. No, it was, uh, I'd say probably when I was, uh, I was a kid. My mom, uh, is a huge horror fan. Uh, one of the first horror movies I ever watched was, you know, Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Um, and it just captivated me and, uh, you know, being spooky and have the dark around your eyes and very pale. It was just, it, it's always just called to me. So, uh, you know, making a career out of it just seemed like the right way to go. <laughs> yeah. I think as far as like lore goes, in the haunting world. I've always loved vampires. I mean, I, I know our fans get tired of me talking about how I'm afraid <laughs> of death and this will be the last time I mention it, but come on, we have somebody on that is a vampire. I think that's why I always love the idea of vampires is because they have, you know, this immortality, but it comes with such a high price. So yes, it's, it's always such a, a fun part of the haunting lore. I don't know if either of you have ever read any of Christopher Moore's books, but he has a really fun, I think it's a three book series called You Suck, where Suck, like- I have it right there. Shut up, seriously? <laughs> yes, yes, I will. Uh, yeah. It's like my favorite of those kind of books. I got to meet him a long, long time ago when I first started reading those books and he was like as funny in real life and that was such a yeah. refreshing thing. But yeah, that, that um, I, I just love that whole world. 
And Becky, you two live pretty close to each other, right? So you're able to actually go and hunt ghosts together or investigate ghosts together. Yep. Yep. We're pretty close. Don't even have to like plan anything. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, we're about 20, 25 minutes if there's traffic away from each other. So it's, okay. you know, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like so many of these relationships we make in this industry, like rarely do you get to be close enough to actually hang out with the person that you kind of do that's stuff true. with. So that that's really cool. So when did you two go on your first um, paranormal investigation together? Technically speaking, our first excursion was in my partner's uh, paranormal. He's a occult and paranormal collector. Essentially, he has his own museum in our ba- the basement of our condo. Um, okay. So no one had investigated up until this point, and we had been talking about it for a while. I, you know, I would get cold feet and I'd be like, "Ooh, I'm nervous." Um, and we just finally, you know, dove head first and and we did it. So what was that? I don't know. What, what would you say that was? Probably like two months ago. Yeah, it was um, whenever right before we went to the uh, Belair House. Belair House, yes. Yes, so it must have been March. I would say March, yes. March, and we have been talking March. about it for months up until this point, you know, and trying yeah. to get gear together and everything like that on, a, on our end at least, so. And you said that you used to be like a two or three as far as like believing in ghosts. Was it these investigations that turned things for you or was there something that previously happened that kind of upped the scale for you? I've definitely had very peculiar experiences without Becky. Um, But for some reason, when we began investigating together, things started happening that we would look at each other and we'd be like, how could this be coincidence? How could this be something that we can explain away? So, you know, it, it made me want to lean more into it. And I've been having more, I wouldn't say... I don't know. Would we say it was profound? I would say probably um, more profound experiences now that I've been doing stuff with Becky. So it's her. It's not me. I, we're like magnets for it. She, she gets a response, and I'm like, I'm calling the police. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, Becky, I'm curious because when I think about you, I think of somebody who is really, you know, into the occult. You have a, a pretty vast collection of. Um, I call them Ouija boards. You call them something else, right? (laughs) I call them expensive. Uh, (laughs) Um, Actually, I I have to be honest here. Uh, Jules, Jules partners um, collection kind of eclipses mine. So um, now that she's in the mix and we have it here, I am, I'm not the only one. (laughs) And and that's kind of where I was headed. And I didn't know that exactly, but I I know just um, from what I've seen, of jewels on social media that, you know, she has, or, or they have a lot of stuff. So Becky, what's it like for you to meet somebody who is into this in a way that you are, you know, where you go over and you see all this stuff, does it make you not that you're somebody that needs to be validated? Um, I know as a performer, <laughs> I love validation, but I, I, <laughs> I don't necessarily get that vibe from you, but I mean, was it really nice to kind of feel at home with, with your new friend seeing like, Hey, this person is really into the occult too. I think I can challenge myself to really get out there and try to have some more supernatural experiences. I think that moving to new England, there's a lot of people who are interested in this stuff. So I think meeting people like that in that context, I'm like, Oh, I can be more open and it, it can only get weirder. Like it opens a new level of weirdness when you meet another weird person and you're like, okay, so this is not validation in a way, but it's like, uh, we can actually bounce 
ideas back and forth more than someone who's like, I have no idea what you're talking about because like the stuff is so nuanced and you can get really deep into stuff. And if the people don't understand like the history or anything, it's hard to, you know, maybe try and form some new concept or method uh, because it, it does take a lot of research. Um, going to their house for the first time, I was just like, uh, I'm not going to be able to hold a conversation in this household. Like I, and I don't know enough about this stuff, but then afterwards, after like an hour of being there, I'm like, Oh, I actually like enjoyed talking back and forth. And then, um, I remember leaving and, um, my partner was like, Whoa, like, you know, like those are the best people. Like we met people that like the stuff we like. So one of us, one of us. <laughs> That's literally, I said that to someone today. Um, someone I know bought a talking board and I was like, one of us, one of us. Backwards. <laughs> because it's like, yes, fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> well, I would love for the two of you to walk the audience through your paranormal investigations. I know you you two have had some pretty interesting experiences and, and I know our fans would love to hear about them. Okay. Um, I think that the important context that needs to be laid out is like in a paranormal inve investigation, I'm more like I have the equipment and I have these certain methods I like to do. And Jules is a, a witchcraft practitioner. So there's two different elements. I'm also a practitioner, but she has like this extensive knowledge on the subject. So if we need something or if she needs to pull a, a reading, actually last night, she wasn't even on the investigation. And I called her and I was like, hey, uh, we're having a little trouble communicating with spirits. Can you do a reading? Because tarot cards were technically barred from the location. So I was like, I need you to pull these basically like as a loophole. And uh, she pulled a reading on the investigation and like helped facilitate the communication because there's two sides to it. And that's why a lot of uh, teams will have like a medium or someone else who's on the other side of things. So um, it's kind of a good balance. Um, when we enter a location, we're not going to immediately jump into pulling out equipment that um, might wrongly give us a bias because it's like, once you get into the equipment, uh, you're looking to validate and use it as a tool, not um, completely let it dictate the course of the investigation. And um, one of the things that we do is we try to call in the communication and um, we'll say like, hey, we're open. It's us a specific amount of time. If you end up um, wanting to communicate in this period of time, we're open, but afterwards you might miss that opportunity. So it creates a little bit of an urgency, but we're not trying to force anything. We're trying to be kind, but also open. And then um, one thing she does is she'll do like a tarot reading for the spirits. And that's kind of like a kind gesture to do for them, which is something that I like. Before we jump into the actual story itself, can you tell us about some of the equipment you all use? So, Jules, do you want to talk about the equipment you like first? The first time that I ever was part of an investigation, like a serious one, was with Becky. Um, she used, you know, a REM pod, an EMF meter, things like that. Um, the SB7 device was really cool. That's the thing that uh, cycles through, you know, radio frequencies basically real fast. Um, so we're using things like that to, you know, we're testing for electromagnetic fields. We're testing for any disturbances, you know, with movement, anything like that. Um, one of my favorite things that she has, uh, I, I forget the name of it, but it, it's like a rope that lights up essentially. <laughs> it, I love it because it's very, very spooky. Um, you know, when you do get a reading on it, it's very spooky. So 
Um, there's several different methods that we've been using that are just, I don't know, each one gives you a different feeling. Like it's, it's, it's very strange. Does the rope, is it measuring energy or what exactly does that do? Um, yeah, so it's an EMF tripwire. So if you're familiar with the K2 uh, electromagnetic field device, what it detects is spikes in EMF. And so the tripwire is actually a rope of lights that detect it and it'll light up different colors the same way, but it, it will um, cover a larger surface area. So what I like to do with it is either use it in a doorway or some other space that something might pass through. Mm -hmm. And we also like to use it in a circle surrounding us. So let's say we're doing a spirit box session with the SB7 and we get a good response. Someone feels like something's behind them. And then that rope lights up mm. in their area and in their space. Then it's like, Ooh, maybe there's energy passing through by this person. And it validates that um, it's new. So it definitely piques a lot of people's interest because it's a vast improvement on some old equipment that we've had. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, well, yeah, I would love to hear about the investigations where you guys have had some luck both with, well, and first, I'm sorry, I know I'm like cock blocking the audience from the story, but <laughs> Jules, just yeah. to be clear, do you consider yourself a medium or like where would you or do you even define define yourself within the spiritual world or, or are you just intuitive how do you kind of think of yourself well i mean that's a great question um would i love to i don't know experiment with mediumship one day yes but i do not believe i'm inherently a medium uh the concept of life after death right now is very new to me um i've been telling becky i'm having a very calm existential crisis uh because if i find out something is real what does that mean for existence for me mm. so um, Welcome to know, my whole paradox with exactly. this podcast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> correct, exactly. So um, I, I don't know. It's it, you know, it's kind of like a learning game right now, and there's a bit of a learning curve. So okay. yeah, that's fair. All right, well, yeah, let's jump in. You guys uh, lead us through it. Who wants to start? I mean, well, let's let's at least bring up the very strange situation that happened in the basement. The first time we ever had a very strange situation. We had a. REM pod device uh, set up on the basement stairs. Now, for those of you who don't know, some people consider stairways, entranceways to be liminal spaces, you know, like the, the border between here and somewhere else. So as we are communicating, you know, we're trying to tell jokes, we're trying to goof off and, and like break the tension a little bit. And if there is something there, hopefully like, I don't know, make them laugh, you know what I mean? Um, as we're telling jokes, the REM pod starts going off on the other side of the room um, and to the point where the battery burned out in it. I mean, it just malfunctioned completely. Um, so, you know, Becky's partner put a new battery into it. We reset it, put it back. Um, then we start asking questions and we start, I don't know, we started getting what felt like intelligent responses from the REM pod. You know, um, you know, please touch the antenna if you're here with us, you know, okay, please stop. It would stop. So that in itself was very spooky. Um, as somebody who's never really, I don't know, I've only ever seen it on ghost, you know, ghost adventures, you know, it's like, oh, this is happening in my basement. Um, Becky then tells a joke <laughs> at the bottom of the stairs because we're getting responses and clear as day on the uh, SV7, you hear, ha, ha, ha. And we were like, excuse me? <laughs> I mean, it, it shocked us. I literally said, I was like, I'm going to cry. Like, I can't believe this. Um, so I don't know how to explain that. That was the first time together we definitely felt something weird. Becky, do you remember the joke that you told? 
Um, it's inappropriate. It it, it was like the worst situation ever because we're also content creators and we do like to share these moments that, you know, might inspire someone to believe. And it's like these little slices of life. And unfortunately the joke I told is this joke I read in a book. And for some reason on the spot, it was the only one I could remember. And it was about a lady who slept with her bird. And it's like, did you hear about the lady who slept with her bird? She got chirpies and I'm like, of all jokes, but the the response was so good. And the reason that it's significant is because when the SB7 sweeps through, it's sweeping across multiple channels. So for a response to continuously come through while it's sweeping, it's significant. If you get like a, hey, you know, that that's not that compelling. But to get laughter across multiple sweeps really just made us go, wait a minute, what's going on here? And, and it was uh, the same pitch across multiple, uh, it was just very strange. It just, it sounded like someone laughing, you know, it was very peculiar. I, I guess it's not scary. As a comedian, I'm a little jealous that I've never made a ghost laugh. Um. <laughs> We just wanted to break the tension. That's really what it was. You know, we, I, I started with one and then we started getting responses from, you know, other devices and Becky swooped in and, and you know, told a good bird joke, I guess. Now, now Jules, to your, <laughs> nothing like some good bird humor, um, to your knowledge, has there been any trauma in that basement or do you think it's related to the artifacts that your partner has collected down there? Or do you have any idea why there may be a ghost down there to begin with? I mean, you know, I have, I have a million theories as to what it could be. I think the one that feels the most accurate to me would be that an item that he has collected, you know, he collects haunted and cursed objects. I think an item down there, um, absorbed some kind of traumatic situation or traumatic energy that maybe somebody in while they were still alive, you know, they had a blowout argument or something like that. And now there's somebody attached to it. Um, you know, we've had weird experiences down there since then, where I, I really truly feel like there might be somebody down there, you know, just hanging out. I, I don't know what, how else to describe it. Um, but I, I do think it's something is attached to an item, um, possibly through trauma or, just some kind of weird bond to it. And have you ever had any poltergeist activity, like things moving off shelves or things of that nature anywhere in the house or in the basement? Well, we have had people feel that they have been grabbed in the basement. Hmm. Um, we have people who have seen things in the basement. Um, we want to set up like a, like a trail cam basically, you know, to see if anything happens, but in the same spots with people who don't know each other on different days, they're feeling like similar sensations. So that's as best as it gets. You know what I mean? I would love to say we, we saw a full body apparition and it threw something off a shelf, but that has not yet happened, you know? So um, it's, it's just a lot of like sensations at this, at this time. I just wanted to add that for people who aren't familiar, I don't know how you couldn't be familiar with the collection. It has been established and run by someone who's skeptical and did not feel um that these objects were haunted and other people would have these experiences so this is the first time they're attempting to document it so the lack of experiences isn't due to the fact that you know this is going on but it's just i was the first investigator down there to even give it a solid go and it was essentially a a practice session and we're like we're not going to get anything from this it's just going to be like a fun hangout so when the laughter came through we're like how could this be? So yeah. we, we sat on it for a while, um, but it's definitely like 
I, I'm the friend that I'm like, I'm not trying to change the story of the museum. I'm just <laughs> checking it out. <laughs> well, Becky, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but I am curious when you hear what sounds like somebody laughing to a joke you told, uh, I don't know why I said that. Like nobody laughs at your jokes. I just meant that it's somebody in the supernatural laughing, but in, in your mind, what are you picture, picturing happening there? I mean, are you picturing like a human we can't see laughing? I mean, wh what do you think that is that is driving that laughter up to the equipment that you brought to the basement? Um, it's really hard because I know that the spirit box doesn't work like a telephone and a lot of people confuse it with that. Um, I, I don't know. It was just, it was so unexpected that we haven't really investigated too much further, like what we definitively think that could be. That could be energy. That could be something. Who knows? It, it's not a spirit box response isn't proof. And we, we are aware of that. But the for something to come through and be so compelling and undeniably, it's not pareidolia, like we're not imagining it. It was distinct laughter. Um, we have to sit on it and take that evidence and kind of process, see if we can replicate it and make decisions based on that. But in my head, the first instinct is the picture, you know, a uh, Victorian ghost in all white going, <laughs> yeah, like, like laughing. Like, yeah. it, it's hard not to- Holding the candelabra it. laughing. Yes, I right. every time. <laughs> not shocked <laughs> that you would picture a Victorian ghost laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you all had this experience in the basement and then what was your next- investigation that you'll have? Um, it was the um, Bel Air house in Bel Air, Ohio. So the Bel Air house uh, belonged to a someone who was affiliated with the mines. And so there's a lot of lore attached to this house based on that, um, maybe some residual guilt from ancestors down the line. Um, it was built by Jacob Hetherington and his uh, donkey best friend, and it lays on a ley line. It's close to the Ohio River. Um, so there's a lot of potential for it to be a, a essentially located close to these conduits that are um, emitting this energy. It has some interesting history. The, the grandson, I believe, I'm not, I, I apologize if that's not his relation, but someone in the family, Edwin was his name, Edwin Hetherington, he would conduct seances in the house and he would try and call in his sister Lyde who passed away. So some people attribute that, some people attribute passing people from the mine disaster nearby or the water, potential uh, wars that had occurred on that land. There's a lot of reasons people believe the Blair house might be haunted. So going into it, you have this kind of impression. And then on top of it, it is claimed to be a dangerous property. This was actually my return to the Blair house after having a pretty weird experience there. Um, and my first negative experience at, at a location. This episode of the Real Hauntings Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels and I'm here to talk to you again about Wild Grain. Our last shipment of Wild Grain was so good that my four-year-old cannot stop asking for more of that awesome bread with dinner. And I'm not going to lie, I'm right there with him. And honestly, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh bread baked coming from the oven. What if I told you that you too could get that delicious experience of homemade bread with none of the time and work involved? Well, you can by ordering from Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. 
and you can now fully customize your wild grain box. So you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com hauntings. That's wildgrain.com hauntings, or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And and is, is this somewhere that you have to make a reservation to go and explore? How exactly does that work? Yes. Yes. So there's a huge commercial market for paranormal investigators looking to expand what they know um, on the paranormal and do some research. And so if you go to one of these historically haunted locations and you kind of look into it, you know, the history, some of them are very famous. Like I was in Waverly Hills, obviously a few days ago. um, And you know what these basically the paranormal investigators that you're seeing publishing research, you know what they have received at this location and you're going to go and try and replicate that. So you'll make reservations with the owner um, and then you bring your team in. Uh, You usually have to sign a waiver. Uh, That waiver usually includes physical damages that could be done, but also psychological from the haunting. Um, This is a, a very common thing. So most areas have like a local haunted place that you can book out for the evening to um, investigate the paranormal. Jules, I picture like you bumping into a ghost at one of these places. And I don't know if you remember the Christmas commercial with the M&Ms and Santa and they're like, he does exist and they're like they do exist i feel like a ghost would see you and think you're a vampire and be like well goddamn they are real just pointing at each other screaming but yeah yeah, that's (laughs) i picture that as well so you know jules you are it sounds like or we're at least somewhat skeptical going into this I would love to hear kind of your first impressions as you guys were leading up to the investigation in this home. Sure. Um, Well, you know, Becky, I would consider Becky to be like one of my closest friends. Um, You know, Becky had basically told me about the experience that she had the, the first time she went. And I was, I mean, flabbergasted. I like, I just couldn't believe it that that's, she would be affected like this. Um, So I, put myself in haunted spaces a lot. But when people talk about the negative, that's not something that has confronted me, basically. So I have heard a lot of stories of that. And I'm not saying that I didn't believe them. I just personally had never 
felt that experience of being essentially drained by the paranormal. So the first night I was at the house, we had this spirit box session. It was really lively. I was like, wow, like this is, this is great. Like this is one of the most active locations I've been. And then the next day I went to investigate and it felt like my battery had been run out. Um, it went from like 110% to maybe five. And I was like, I need to step away. The morning had started with me stepping on a big black wasp in the middle of February. I tried to ground myself, which grounding is a technique that you use when you're kind of losing yourself a bit in the investigation. And I'm like imagining myself protected. My feet are planted firmly on the ground. I'm okay. And I couldn't do it. And um, I finally had someone pull some cards. They're like, we think you need to leave the house. And I'm like, no, I'm a paranormal investigator, even though I'm getting affected or so I think I want to continue doing this. So um, I pushed through on the investigation and we continued to ask questions and see what was going on and essentially received responses that implied that something in the house doesn't enjoy the fact that people can just come be in the house and do whatever they want. And then people get to leave. Now, my prior experience to this is that spirits can come and go as they, they please. Nothing is trapped. There may be certain spaces of time where something may feel like it's trapped, but I just, I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I got physically ill. Um, I was sick in the middle of the night. I was tired, um, but I stayed up all night. I was scared. Um, so the reason we went back is because we had a little more work to do as far as trying to figure out what else could potentially make someone sick, what other things in the environment. I'm fairly level-headed. I've never been one of those people that cries. You know, um, if you've ever been on an investigation, occasionally there's people that start crying, they get overcome with emotion. That's, that's not me. Most of the time, I'd say 99% of the investigations I do, I'm like, that ah, quiet night. And, and that's okay because I enjoy doing it. And I'm never trying to give an unrealistic view of the paranormal. So that was the situation. I picture this as the beginning of one of those horror movies where <laughs> you're sharing your story and it's like, you know, the warning for what's to come. And, yes, and, and exactly Jules, it's like, like, it's going to be great. We're going to go. I'm like, from New York. I'm not so scared of fun. ghosts. You both yeah, hop into a Jeep with the top down and there's like that one guy in there who's being like jerky about the first whole, he's the first one to die, obviously, you know, yeah. like I can see it all playing out now. I don't know. We all had like a weird feeling of dread, you know, I, I don't know, like the very typical, like, oh, a scary movie, everybody's feeling dread. Um, you know, we did a, we did a session and we got a lot of back and forth conversation that seemed intelligent. Um, you know, we have footage of it. It was very strange. And, um, it's something where, again, we sat on that footage for, dude, what, like a week and a half. We didn't even know what to do with it because we were like, how were Becky and I having a conversation back and forth if we couldn't hear each other and we couldn't see each other, you know? What, so, can you explain that to me? What do you mean having a conversation back and forth? So there's something that um, it's pretty popular in the paranormal investigation realm now. And I'm hoping that like I can start pushing towards new methods so we don't um, all rely on the same one. But this is a really good method. So when you're listening to the spirit box with a group of people, you can hear the other person's question, which makes you listen and try to hear the response that you want to hear. So there's a method that was um, developed by two people in Estes Park, Colorado, Stanley Hotel, and it is called the Estes Method. Now, what happens is a person essentially goes, quote, under. They wear blindfolds and they're using noise canceling headphones and they're listening to the spirit box. So that way, 
Um, and they're just going to shout any response they think they hear through the white noise. Now, they're not supposed to pick up any of the radio interjections. So if the radio um, kind of cuts through and, and you know that's that, it, it's only the little bits that come through the white noise. Now, the people outside of the box is how it's referred, are asking the questions. So if I say, what color is my shirt? And she says, it's red. And then she's under the box. How would she know that I asked that? Yeah. Mm. And I assume you both have been on both sides of this experiment. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. And so, so you both can tell our audience then, I mean, how much can you hear with the headphones on from the outside world? Can you, is there any possibility that you could hear the other person asking the question or is it completely like the sound is canceled out? It's completely silent. I'm going to be honest with you. Noise, noise canceling headphones. Um, The only thing that I've ever considered in this is if someone has like a loud voice kind of booming through, maybe that you could potentially pick up a vibration and it might prompt a response subconsciously. Maybe this is getting really skeptical, but um, the important thing to consider is not to let the person in the box navigate. So as an investigator, you're responsible for your evidence. And if the person in the box says behind, they can predict that the person outside of the box would say, who are you behind? and then say a name, creating these false positive responses. So you really need to be with a good group of grounded investigators who know how to um, use discernment and and judgment in that situation. You have to Mm. constantly be asking questions to kind of throw off the predictable nature of that. Well, I think that's one of the things I love about what Becky does is because she's not here just to push content to get clicks or views. I mean, I know Becky and I have had conversations, um, just the two of us about the paranormal world, because we both come in contact with a ton of people who do a ton of different kinds of investigations and post a ton of different stuff. And it is so refreshing to have somebody who's willing to tell you, Hey, this is the other side of how this happens. And this is what could happen to lead to a result or because I I think it is important as like for us as podcasters, uh, real hauntings, you know, we, we're not out in the field doing experiments, but we are collecting a big database of firsthand accounts. um, And you all are, are actually in the field. And so it's, it's good to be honest because there's enough out there that, we don't have to invest in the make-believe and we can actually dig into what people really believe happen. So that's, I appreciate you sharing that uh, information with the audience. So what were some of the questions and responses that y'all were getting? Was it anything like really profound that blew you away? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can I tell them about the, uh, I'm going to tell them about the the couch thing in the attic. That was sure. scary. So <clears throat> we, we went up to the attic now for context, allegedly there was somebody who was almost pushed out. What was he pushed out the window? Is that the story that they were, that they told us? So something had kind of like given the impression to go out the window. Like, um, they said, you should go out, the, you should go out the window or you should jump and was caught before they were going to jump. It was actually the owner's son. So it's a pretty serious situation. And uh, that's a very serious thing to tell people coming into your house that somebody tried to influence another person to jump out a window, you know? This is very nasty stuff, uh, allegedly. So um, what we're here is to um, kind of either debunk or confirm these claims. So we decided to address the area where the situation occurred. 
Yes. So when we were doing double Estes, okay, so Becky and I are both under, we're trying to see if anything syncs up, if any of the information we're hearing, you know, matches each other, anything like that. So it gets to a point where in the video, Becky and I are talking about the cats outside, okay, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, whoever is speaking to us very evidently wanted us to open the window to let the cats in. All of a sudden, we were the. It starts talking about a visitor, somebody being there, somebody's outside, and we're like, you know, whatever. You're under, so you don't think anything of it. Then all of a sudden, um, I get on. You know, I didn't know what this meant in the moment, but it was behind you, on the couch. Got him. Just kidding. Like, that's the exact thing that I said. And somebody was sitting on the couch and I had no idea. It was somebody who came into the investigation after we had already started. So I didn't even know somebody was sitting on the couch. Um, it was very, very spooky watching it back because it sounded like somebody was joking around with the guys who were recording us and asking questions, basically. Because you're blindfolded, so you couldn't even, can't even see. Yep, right. can't even see. Did the ghost make any cat herpes jokes or? <laughs> Unfortunately, no, I wish. <laughs> so, you know, Jules, as, as somebody who has been a skeptic and is trying to understand what this afterlife is, where these ghosts may exist on some plane, what was it like for you to not just hear, you know, like a quote unquote typical response in this situation, if that's even a such thing, but to have what felt like a spirit truly interact with you and feel almost, I would imagine that felt almost human because that's like something you would do like to a friend or something. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, a, a big thing that I want people to know is that, you know, when you're listening to an SV7, a spirit box, anything like that, I think a lot of people are listening for the changes in the radio frequency. You know, they're looking for that robot voice. Unfortunately, what we were hearing was not a robot voice. It sounded mm. like a person whispering underneath mm. the static, if that makes sense. So that's when I started to get like, this is this is beyond what I thought this would be. This isn't like the movies anymore where somebody's somebody's messing with the radio. This is, you know, somebody's using this device to actually have a conversation with us. Um, you know, in the the investigation that happened the following day after this, we had the exact same experience where we were hearing little voices talking to us. So it it changed for sure how I felt about um at least communication. You know what I mean? And did any of the spirits comment to kind of the bad juju that had taken place in the home or was it all kind of just mismatched stuff? It was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of mismatched yeah. stuff. Um, a lot of people, you know, we would get voices that say like, Oh, gotta go send me back. You know? So it sounded like, I, I don't know, like they had to take turns or something. Um, that's the best way I could describe it. Um, like Becky said, I, I didn't subscribe to the idea that a place could just lock somebody in, but we were getting, feedback from from whatever it was from spirit if you will um that made it sound like something was kind of keeping them there hmm. and how hard is it because i know in editing we have had a ghost voice kind of popping in and out of our podcast from where my co-host uh where they both reside at their home the first couple times i heard that or really the first two times i i literally threw my headphones off my head because it it freaked me out. It's like, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting to hear this whispery lady talk to me, you know, oh, yeah. on the podcast. So how hard is it when you're doing a, and this is for both of you, how hard is it when you're doing a, a spirit box session and this, you know, this being the spirit communicates to you to stay in the moment and focus on what's going on and not just be like, 
freak out because that would yeah. be what I would feel like, at least early on in these experiences. There have been times where, um, so you kind of got like, I would say a very standard investigation is what happened at the Belair house. We didn't feel like uh, we couldn't definitively prove something or release a documentary based on the findings there. And I would say there was, um, suggestions of intelligence but it wasn't until the day after that we were confronted with something that was a little more like how could this be like ripping the headphones off like this is not real yeah there was crying i cried crying yep yeah so did becky we both did um becky you cried i picture you as like the ghost surgeon i can't see you like getting overly in tune this was different. So um, I've told, I've talked about this case publicly, but um, essentially there's a place that's not described as haunted. So the opportunity to communicate through these devices is very rare. And it's located in Imler, Pennsylvania, and it's um, in the middle of Blue Knob State Park. It's a monument for these two kids that went missing in the 1800s. It's actually coming up on their anniversary. So um we just kind of decided to stop by where these kids went missing. They weren't found. Um, they had mediums, witches. And for this time period, this is pretty wild that they were exhausting every method. And it's recorded about 4,000 people spent time looking for them. And they were not located until their bodies were found by a farmer who dreamt of the location. So I'm like, maybe something's going on there, you know? And I was like, we should go, you know, she had never been to this location. I told her it was one of my favorites. I just felt drawn to it. And there's more to the story, but I had essentially seen signs from them. I had been in locations where I was like, why am I seeing the lost children of the Alleghenies in this environment? So there, this case, uh, when I talked about it, it went viral. I felt like I was meant to tell the story and I wanted to bring her into it. And so that was the reason for the invitation. And she knows this case is very personal to me. So the fact that I was like, I want to bring you into this and see what happens. This is where the real experience happened. And, um, we still, we still are like, what happened that day? Uh, There's no other way to describe it. Uh, when she started reaching out to these kids that I felt drawn to for so long, and I don't feel drawn to cases, I don't believe in that, like, oh, they're calling to me kind of thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm grounded. I don't, I don't feel like I'm so important that a spirit would be trying to reach me. Yeah. When she started to communicate, I started crying. I had to let go and allow myself to believe what was happening. That's wild. Uh, yeah. Because... Yeah. The Becky, I know that's, that's, that, that must've been pretty impactful to get you to that place while y'all were there. So were you using the spirit box and, and you actually heard something or what was it that was so impactful for you or both of you in that moment? So we were using the Estes method and we thought we would stop. This isn't described as a haunted location. So we have to remember there's no chance for it to be projected. So there's a lot of discussion in the community that so many people believing a place being haunted could potentially haunt it. And this isn't a place like that. I went in thinking it's not haunted, but let's see. And um, we started with a spirit box, but it was kind of loud outside. So we attempted to use the Estes method and she went um, we actually attempted to let her partner try it first and he wasn't receiving responses. He's like, I don't hear anything. I did so feel like he got tapped though. He did feel a physical response, if you will, but he, he can write it off because it on this, on the, you know, 
a believer spectrum, he's like a one or two, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he was like, Oh, it's whatever. So but he felt somebody tap him. You said he felt, he felt what sound it felt and sounded like someone like tap, tap, tap on the headset. And he got oh. scared. He took the headset off and he was like, did somebody touch me? And I was like, honey, no, like no, it wasn't, I promise. <laughs> yeah. So after that moment, we switched with her uh, mm-hmm. because she's really good at kind of navigating the responses she had discernment because she'd been working on it and she put the headphones on and we say like you know were you just he said are you were you just touching me yeah I did and we're like what and as this progresses this conversation ended up being like 45 minutes long our eyes just kept getting wider and wider and as it progressed the all of us started to let our guard down. We have to let ourselves believe this. When she switched off to me, which allows for confirmation that this is happening and it's not just one person navigating it, she asked, tell me where I can look at you. And she said, I'm going to turn around and tell me where to stop. And as, as she's turning, I have no idea that this is happening. I say, stop. And when she stops, she's staring directly at the monument where these kids yeah. were found. Where they were found where the tree was that they were found in so it just uh i started bawling because i was like how how could she know there's no way you know what i mean like i don't i can't explain that as i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it like i don't know how yeah, i have goosebumps too it was yeah it was i don't i don't know how how that happened unless I, we were joking like unless we're telepathic and becky and i have a connection or something but i don't think so i don't i don't think it's that i just wanted to point this out when we have had conversations with the Estes method I can write off a minute two minutes three minutes of intelligent conversation as coincidence I cannot write off 45 minutes of emotional raw communication I just can't I have two big um, paranormal experiences that I've talked about on this podcast before this is the third like we could do an entire podcast on what happened that day and Jules so you said you're a six Mm -hmm. and then I hear this story (laughs) <laughs> and it makes me believe more and I wasn't there. So is yeah. it possible that you're saying you're a six because you you have some hesitation of what it means if that number goes up for you? Like if you say Absolutely. you're an eight, like how do you, yeah. Yeah, that's- I, I, that's why I said I'm having a calm existential crisis, you know, mm-hmm. um, because to me, you know, I never think of like the God and the, the God and the devil. I mm-hmm. think of what does it mean to exist and be alive then? What does it mean to die? Uh, it it's frightening, you know? So I, I think like admitting that something is changing my perspective of it, it, it's very difficult for me. I'm having a hard time, um, coming to terms with it, I would say. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on our hour and I don't want to keep you both too long because I want to have you back on again. I think this is a good place to kind of leave things these experiences you all have had, are these being documented and uploaded online somewhere that our fans can check out? So we didn't have experiences that we felt this was necessary for. And this experience that we're talking about, we do have thoroughly documented, but we wanted to release it when we had time to um, fully put out almost like a documentary. So we released clips of it on TikTok. Um, so I will send those to you as well. So you can like kind of see it for yourself. And I think you'll be pretty uh, moved by it. But th- we weren't on that like, level with it and then after that we're like we needed to document this this is like this is profound and i had sent it this is the first time i felt is it ethical to post this are people going to be able to understand what this is and um i didn't want to give the impression that we just had the ability to walk in and communicate with these 
you know, children that we didn't know, we had no connection to and no lineage. So for this to happen, we were humbled and we were like, is it appropriate to share? Um, We did it two weeks, two weeks, we debated posting a clip on TikTok. You know what I mean? We didn't know what to do. It it wasn't just like, let's get views. Mm. So I finally, I edited it. I spent an hour doing it. I'm like, I need to give the full story and context to this. And it was well-received. People were really like, are you guys okay? After experiencing this, they wanted to check in on us. They were like, this, this is something different than what you see. This is not, um, you know, haha, funny spirit box video or using an app. Like this was, this was raw. And to see me cry, I, it broke some people. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started on that app. Um, <laughs> That that's all amazing, and I can't wait to go and and check that out for myself. Now, is that on your TikTok, Becky? Is that at my bloody Galantine? Yeah, we have both released a little bit of this interaction. We we have a half hour of communication, so we're okay. looking forward to sitting down and doing interviews with us, um, where we can both share what had happened from everyone's point of view because you can't disregard emotion as well and like I said there was a heightening the whole time it was escalating and she didn't even she was not aware that she had been under for so long and that's the other thing is like when you're just losing track of time I truly feel for a minute she was not listening to a spirit box but um really just channeling the children it's profound so um yeah both of our channels have a little bit on it but we're looking forward to releasing the full thing when we're ready to say, okay, world, give it to us. We, yeah. we had sent you multiple paranormal investigators. I said, debunk this, make me not believe this. Tell me how this could be fake and nobody could do it. The, the best things that we were getting were like, well, yeah, you're, you don't believe. So of course you could say that. But um, the, the only responses we were getting were not like you're lying. People were saying, she had to have been able to hear you. I'm like, no, there's no way. No way. There was a river. There was a a rushing river. That's why we put the (laughs) headset on. Literally, there was a Mm. river behind where we were. Well, fans, if you have enjoyed this episode, which I know you have, and I know many of you already subscribe to everything Becky does at My Bloody Galentine, but if you don't, make sure you go on Instagram, TikTok, and follow her everywhere you can. Becky, is there a YouTube for you as well, or is it primarily Instagram and TikTok? We're looking forward to announcing kind of a collaborative YouTube because- Um, it's hard with one person. Um, every single person on an investigation contributes the energy. So sure. we're looking for a collective to be released soon, but okay. give us some time. <laughs> just want to make sure I'm leaving anything out. And also make sure you go and check out our new friend of the show, Jules. She is a fascinating human being. I have enjoyed this conversation so much and can't wait to hopefully have her back on again and continue to familiarize our audience with Jules. You can check her out at the Hex Baby on Instagram and TikTok. I have spent um, some time myself going through her content and there's just some just genuinely fun stuff on there. And then there's some spooky uh, creative content as well. And I don't think you will be disappointed by either of our guests. Well, with that, I'm Noah Daniels. I'm Becky. I'm Jules. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues— 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.